When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us on the Single Tracks podcast. Today we're going to be talking about illegalish mountain bike trails, or as Greg likes to call them, gray area trails. So Greg, what exactly are gray area trails? In short, I'd say these trails are trails that don't specifically mention uh, whether bikes are or are not allowed. You just, like, there's no signage telling you one way or the other. Right. So, well, that's interesting because, you know, mountain bikes have been around for three decades now. And so you would think that land managers would have had a chance to decide, you know, whether mountain bikes are allowed or not, or, you know, get their signs updated. So why is there still so much ambiguity out there? So this is probably mostly just supposition on my part, but I think there's a couple of things. One, I think big government is just really slow to change, you know, especially when we're talking about federal lands that are being managed. But the second one is potentially just a lack of funds to properly sign and mark some of these trails. You know, there could be a lot on the book somewhere saying whether or not a specific trail is open for bikes, but that doesn't mean that they've put a sign on the trail telling you whether or not it's open. Sometimes I just think there's a lot of things that fall through the gaps in those cases. Right, right. And it may be, I guess, in a lot of those places where there is no signage, there really hasn't been any conflict or anything like that to really force the issue. Yeah, especially when we're talking about federal lands and big national forests. I mean, some of these trails are sitting out in the national forest. You know, they're not blocked off. They're not maintained and they're not used very much, but they're just there, you know? So, I mean, honestly, that's how most of our trail system came to be is those trails sort of were just used into existence. Some of them just don't get very much used to to where they're located. Well, how big of an issue do you think this is, you know, nationwide or at least, I mean, maybe we can at least talk to the trails that are listed in the single tracks trails database. So what percentage of those trails would you say maybe fall into a gray area? You know, I'm totally just making numbers up off the top of my head here, but I'm guessing less than 10% of the trails we have listed are in a gray zone. But I think that's because most people instinctively know sort of what trails are gray and what trails aren't. And in general, I think most users will hold back on posting those gray trails to the internet. You know, that might not be illegal to ride, but sometimes, you know, if it's in this ambiguous zone, like maybe it doesn't necessarily need to be publicized. You know, our policy on single tracks has always been to only post trails that are legal and open to bikes. But as my recent article highlighted sometimes that line of whether or not something is open to bikes is really fuzzy personally i don't post gray trails to the database i just don't have that compulsion to do so i think in our database specifically it's probably a small percentage but i think there's a lot of trails out there that aren't listed you know that get used regularly that are in this sort of gray area Right. And we do, you know, over the years, we get all kinds of feedback from people about specific trails saying, you know, this trail is a gray trail, it really shouldn't be on the website. And we do try to do some sort of back and forth with people to understand what the true nature of the grayness is. So you said earlier, 
you were talking about how a lot of trails come into existence. It seems to me that a lot of legacy trails like those in the national forest started out as, you know, quote unquote, gray trails, and they were ultimately whitewashed. I mean, the Forest Service doesn't sit down and say, hey, you know, we really need a trail to the top of that peak over there. You know, let's go out and build it. A lot of times it's people want to get to the top of that peak. And so they kind of beat a trail and the Forest Service then ultimately recognizes it and, and t- goes about maintaining it. So so is it a problem if people knowingly ride these trails or is it a good way to get trails legitimized? That's a tricky question. <laughs> I don't know if it's a necessarily a good thing for people to do. You know, I feel like sometimes there's a better, more official process to apply for trail access and, and get trails recognized. So I wouldn't necessarily advocate like people just use a trail into existence and then make that happen. However, on the flip side, like like you just said with people going up mountain peaks, like that's how most of the trails came into being. And that's how a lot of current trails are being adopted into the system. You know, people are riding them. They who knows who built them? You know, I'm not advocating that you go out and build these trails, but who knows who built them, but people are using them and the Forest Service eventually has to do something about it. Around here that's been a big issue. Um, a lot of the newest trails added to our trail system were old social trails that were then used really regularly, proposed to be added to the trail system, some reroutes were done, new sections were added and boom, you've got a new trail. But, you know, there are people that are advocating that no social trails ever be added to the system because it promotes exactly what you're saying. People just using trails and expecting them to be legitimized. So (laughs) I've always wondered that myself when I read these accounts of, you know, and it happens all across the nation, you know, it's not just a local thing to me. I mean, we read these accounts out of Nevada and Utah and all sorts of places where there's a trail and then people are riding it and then it becomes official, you know, and I'm like, well, it seems to be sort of propagating the, the system to an extent, which isn't necessarily a legal system. I don't know. It's it's a little confusing to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Greg, for sure. It's definitely definitely kind of a sticky question. And, and you know, it's, it's not something that's just limited to bicycles either. You know, you see it with, with hiking trails. If you're walking along a main trail and there's a waterfall or something along the side of the trail, you know, you can bet your ass that eventually there's going to be a trail, legitimate or not, over to go check out a viewpoint. That's just unfortunately or not, maybe... Um, people are going to go where they want to go and check out what they want to check out. So, um, yeah, I, I've definitely definitely noticed that on, on the mountain biking side of things and, and definitely while hiking as well. Yeah, I think you make a great point about hiking. I've talked with people before who have kind of brought up the point, you know, legally you can walk anywhere you want to walk, but as a result of people following the same paths, you create these illicit trails, you know, that have been sanctioned. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting thing like jeff was saying you know for instance all the 14 or summit trails like that's how they began people wanted to get on top of those mountains and so they climbed them and now there's a trail on the trail map to the top of every 14er but if you look at say the 13ers here in colorado people love to climb the 13ers not nearly as many as the 14ers but for most of the 13ers like there isn't a sanctioned trail to the top of them but people still climb them and generally there's like a path that's known as the best route to the top and so it might just be a matter of years and use before those are sanctioned trails to the top of those 13ers it's sort of like a natural progression to an extent yeah 
like you said, end doesn't always justify the means. There's there's really no such thing as gray trail building. Even though a lot of cases, social trails do eventually become official trails. And I think there maybe there is actually a, a form of gray trail building. You know, as we're talking, I was thinking that by walking a trail, you are building a trail. A lot of mountain bikers will talk about a trail being like rake and ride, meaning you just have to rake path in the leaves and and that's your trail. But I think a lot of trails that I know of, social mountain bike trails are built through a method I call ride and ride. And it's basically (laughs) just go through the woods and go the same way every time. And eventually there's going to be a trail, whether you're on a bike or if you're hiking, maybe there is gray trail building. And by walking, like you said, you're not breaking any rules, but um, eventually that's going to become a trail. And, And who's to say if you built it or if you just walked it? And another you know, thing that we haven't mentioned are animal trails, especially in the desert areas, such as Fruta. A lot of the big trail systems in Fruta, such as 18 Road, began as cattle trails. And uh, and the cattle trails got ridden in. People would just start pedaling on these cattle trails. And the soil got packed in, mm-hmm. and then they started taking tools to them a little bit, sprucing them up here and there. And boom, you've got one of the best-known trail systems in the country. Now, obviously, they're building high-quality sanctioned trails out there, but there are plenty of trail systems that began as where the trails existed, but they were built not by human hands. So Mm -hmm. where do you even throw that in the mix? Right. Yeah, just more shades of gray. So what can someone do if they're worried about riding a gray trail? How do you know if a trail is completely legit? I mean, we've said that, you know, mountain biking – Websites like Single Tracks, despite our best intentions to keep everything on the legit side, we still are going to miss some. And, you know, there's not always going to be great signage and things like that. But how can people avoid riding illegal or gray trails if they want to do so? I, I think uh, the easiest way is just to go to really well-established trail systems or places where there there is no question of uh, legality of of bikes being there you know if you know if you're if you're worried about a trail system being legal or not you know go to some place you know like blankets creek or chicopee where it's a dedicated mountain bike trail system so there's so it's very explicit you know kind of going back to something greg mentioned earlier about what percentage of trails listed and on single tracks may be gray trails it's really hard to put a number on that and I, i think Many people do know not to post gray trails to databases like ours or on Strava, but I think most gray trails, they do kind of reach a critical mass where the word gets out. You know, you tell at first it's, you know, a dozen people who know where the trail are, and then they tell two friends, and then they tell two friends, and then before you know it, you know, there's, you go to what you thought was a gray trail and you're seeing tons of other people out on it and people you don't recognize and then you know who knows where they heard about the trail from so i think as more people find out about a gray trail or a gray trail system the less those people know that it is a gray trail yeah i've definitely seen seen it happen locally on some some trails that started out as very hush hush and then i've seen them uh, posted to strava and you know segments being uh, created on them and you know, I always I'll I'll actually message those people and say like, hey, you know, this isn't this isn't really something that should be on here. This is something that you should 
you know, if you want to record your ride out there, make it private. But this is not a, a legitimate trail system. Yeah, all I have to say is it's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. But if you're worried about this uh, in a very serious way, I agree with Aaron. Just go ride trails that are in the white. We've got tons of mountain bike trails that are in the white all across the nation around the world. So that's where I would start. Yeah, that's good advice. You know, a few years ago, I was at the EMBA World Summit, and I was in a seminar about illegal trails and illegal trail building. And one of the presenters asked people in the audience to raise their hand if they had ever ridden, knowingly ridden a gray trail or an illegal trail. And keep in mind, this audience was full of, you know, land managers, advocates, all the people that you would expect to be you know, doing the right thing. But I would say 80% of the people in the audience raised their hand saying that they had knowingly ridden an illegal trail. And they asked the same question, how many people had built illegal trails? And the number, it wasn't quite half, but it was still a surprising number of people. It's interesting to note that the people who are the biggest advocates and, and that sort of thing, they struggle with this as well. So it's not always easy to know the right thing to do. Right. Well, I think uh, a big part of it is the the convenience factor, right? I mean, you know, a lot of the trails that that we ride here locally in Atlanta are maybe technically gray trails. They're you know they're neighborhood they're known trails. You know, you can go out there any day of the week and you see you know you see families out there walking. You know, people walk their dogs and people ride their bikes on them. Everybody gets along. I mean, they they were never set out to be a trail system per se, but it was a big patch of woods in the neighborhood that wasn't being used for any other purpose. So people just started building trails out there. So I think um, for people in an urban setting like us, it is a a big convenience factor. If you can do a Jeff's method of ride and ride and, uh, (laughs) you know, maybe on your, your commute home from work, there's little cut throughs through a, you know, a parking lot or something like that. Just a, a chance to, get a little bit of dirt underneath your tires. I mean, ride and ride, and eventually you've got a trail. I definitely I definitely think convenience plays a role. And, you know, probably the other side of it is just the uh, rebel, outlaw, misfit mountain bike culture. Kind of that's how, you know, mountain bike got its start. And that's still, I think, a, a big part of it. You know, there are people that are going to build trails in urban areas, but there's there's also people that are dedicated, legitimate I mean, skills wise, trail builders, but they, you know, they don't, they don't want to deal with any red tape. They don't want to go to meetings. They don't want to get approval. They just want to build trail and they're going to build trail wherever they want to. And unfortunately, you know, that's just, you can try your best to stem that, but I think that's always going to be an issue. Yeah. I think the the whole idea behind building illegal trails is, is kind of fascinating. And, you know, like you said, there's a lot of history with that terms of the origins of our sport and everything so that's definitely something i want to explore maybe in a future podcast so i also wanted to touch on something aaron that you talked about in terms of you know trying to limit the information that's out there about gray trails so we get inquiries from people from time to time land owners and advocacy groups telling us that a trail system is a gray trail and and that it needs to remain gray for various reasons, you know, whether it's legal or they just want to limit usage, but ultimately they're trying to keep a trail sort of quiet. So is this sustainable or is this even a good idea to try to keep these trails underground or should we be working to 
resolve those issues, whether they're legal or their usage issues or that sort of thing? I think it's a bad idea, personally. Um, trying to, like, for a specific group of people, you know, if it's the builders, the landowners, or even uh, local officials, like, consciously trying to keep a trail gray, like, I just don't think that is feasible. And that's those are the most complicated issues that we run into, where a trail is, the word is, it's fine to use, like, the landowner's given permission, but they don't want it official. Like, there's, it's hard to be in that in-between zone mm-hmm. consciously. Like Aaron was saying, word gets out one mouth at a time, even if it's not online, you know, it just begins to spread and spread and spread. And before you know it, especially if the trail is good enough, it becomes the best known trail in an area. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that was the situation around here. Like our newest legal trail, the Cottonwood Trail, is now all totally legal. Some brand new single tracks been put in to reroute some sections of it. It's absolutely fantastic. But it had been a social trail for who knows how long, decades maybe. And it was one of the best-known trails in Salida, just by word of mouth. So mm-hmm. uh, I just don't think it, the trails can ever stay in that gray zone indefinitely. Yeah. One of the cases that, that came to mind for me was several years ago, there was a trail in Florida. The basic situation was that the trail was on some county land. The county said it was okay for people to ride there. But part of their agreement with the mountain bike group was that they not publicize the trail. And so it's, it put people in a weird position where there's nothing wrong with riding there, but you're just not supposed to tell anybody about it. And so in those situations, it starts to feel sort of like a private club or like a you know, secret society. And, and right, to me, that doesn't seem sustainable or like a really good thing, especially when you're talking about land that belongs to everyone. The first rule of trail club is you do not talk about trail club. <laughs> I mean, to, when you start, you know, we're talking about media organizations like ours, you start bumping into issues about like freedom of speech and stuff like that, because the county can't regulate, legally regulate, you know, whether or not information gets out about a county resource like that is not <laughs> Right. within their purview you know like <laughs> interestingly enough that was sort of something we've touched on recently with the bike the 14ers crew where the forest service asked them not to publicize their travels like the forest service has no authority telling them they can't publicize their travels if they're not doing anything illegal mm-hmm. so it's a complicated issue for sure people always want to try to control the conversation but eventually you learn you can't you can never control it well, I mean, it, I guess from from their perspective, it it doesn't hurt to to ask people not to publicize it, you know. <laughs> right. and, I, and I think that definitely can help smooth things over. I mean, like like Jeff said, they may have some legitimate reasons for wanting a trail to remain gray because maybe they are working behind the scenes to, to you know to make it a, a white trail. Right. Or I think in a lot of cases, too, it's like they don't have parking, for example. And so people in the neighborhood are getting upset because, you know, they can't park their cars. And one of our local gray trails here, um, you know, it started out as a handful of guys knowing about it. And then, you know, more and more people found out about it. And eventually it turns out that a, a church, a local church owned the land and they 
came out and put signs up that said, welcome to our nature preserve and enjoy <laughs> the trails, you know, at your own risk. So, you know, I think in, in that one instance that they were pretty pumped to come out and find that someone had uh, put in the work, done the labor, you know, essentially free of charge to, to build them a trail system that they could now call their own. But, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's a, like we said, this is, a, this is a gray area. And it doesn't always work out that way. No, and, and this, not at all. In this situation, the trails are were really well built, and you know we're not talking about kids on their BMX bikes, you know, building ramps in the woods and that kind of thing. I mean, All right, this is legit hand built single track. It drains well. Yeah, there's no, you know, there's no huge doubles. You know, there's no big gaps with like you know broken shovels and cinder blocks in the middle <laughs> of them. <laughs> well, good. Well, this has been a fun discussion, guys. Thanks. I'm sure we'll be covering this again sometime. So stay tuned for our next podcast on Monday. We're going to be talking about fat bike designs with Vince from Chumba. So have a great weekend. Peace.